Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Hope everyone is doing well. It's been a busy podcast season for me in the last month. Lots of great episodes coming up, including this one. This one is for all the coffee lovers out there, myself included, particularly those who put milk in their coffee. And for this podcast, we are focusing on regular milk, cow's milk. Do you put milk in your coffee? I use oat milk usually. Um, but for an extra push, I also drink it before I work out, but I drink it black. Uh, it's actually a bronchodilator. Not necessarily a strong one, but I will take it when I'm working out. <laughs> um, my guest today is Professor Marianne Lund. She'll be joining us from Denmark, and she is a professor of food chemistry, does a lot of research in that area, and she'll tell us more about the work she does and what food chemistry is in the podcast. I recently read two papers she and her team published, which we will discuss. Basically, we are going to talk about her research on the combination of milk and coffee and its anti-inflammatory effect, anti-inflammatory we love that, right? That's a that's actually a wellness buzzword, but it actually does mean something. And she'll explain that in the podcast. Um, she'll talk about polyphenols, proteins, and inflammation, and how those things are related, and really break it down, break down the study so it is easy for folks to understand. Okay. So fill up your coffee mugs, add a little milk if you want. This is the podcast to drink coffee. Um, and let's connect to Professor Lund and hear what she has to say. One second, guys. Okay, everyone, we are connecting with Professor Marianne Neeson Lund, who is uh, with the Department of Food Science at the University of Copenhagen. And I'm not sure what time it is over there, but it's yeah. middle of the day. Middle of the day. Yeah. <laughs> It's really early here, but I get up early, so this is this is good. Um, so we're going to talk about polyphenols and proteins and inflammation and these big words. But first, can you tell us more about yourself, the work you do, and how you got interested in food chemistry? Yes. So I have a background uh, as a food science and uh, technologist from uh, from University of Copenhagen. And um, this is a very nice uh, education. You get a lot of basic science. And then at some point during the education, you start linking all this basic science to, to food. And that's actually where I was really intrigued. That was during the first lectures that we had on food chemistry. Then I really knew that this was the area that I wanted to be in. And then I've just continued working with food chemistry ever since. And food chemistry. Yes. How would you describe that to somebody? Like if you just met them on the street and they're like, what's food chemistry? Yeah. Fair <laughs> Not that you get that question often, but me. <laughs> no, yeah, I do for my family sometimes. But it's it what what it really means is that we try to understand the chemistry that happens in food during processing, you know, preparation when it's stored, uh, so all the way from the companies making the food until you as a consumer eat it. There's a lot of natural chemistry going on in our foods 
And that's what we're trying to understand overall in order to improve food quality. So a lot of the research I do is, is uh, in collaboration with, with uh, the industry, the food and, and the ingredient industry. Uh, so, of course, the aim is to make sure that they use the right raw material, the best processing conditions in order to get uh, the best type of, of uh, food that you can have in terms of quality, but also in terms of uh, nutritional uh, content. All right. That was a good a good explanation. Um, so I wanted to, I, I read two papers that were recently published, uh, one in the Journal of Food Chemistry, and I'm just going to say the name for people, but for folks who don't understand chemistry, don't worry, uh, we'll talk about it, but covalent bonding between well, we're basically going to talk about covalent bonding between polyphenols and proteins, um, synthesis of caffeic uh, acid and cysteine and cholerogenic acid cysteine addicts, <laughs> and their quantification in dairy beverages. So that's a lot of words. Um, and we're going to talk about your other paper in the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry. Both are related, but can you first tell us, you know, polyphenols? And I think we hear that word a lot uh people throw yep. it around a lot and we're like oh these are good for you but what what are they why should we be paying attention to them so they are so polyphenols are compounds that are present in plants so they are they are widely distributed in our foods um, there are like 8000 different structures of these so they have uh, very different activities um, but but they're naturally present in, in you know vegetables, fruits, uh, beer, wine, coffee, tea, a lot of different uh, foods that we eat on a daily basis. The reason why they're interesting is first of all because they work very nicely as natural antioxidants. So from a food perspective, they are used uh, as ingredients in order to prevent or inhibit uh, lipid oxidation. And lipid oxidation is uh, something that causes rancidity and will deteriorate our foods. So ev eventually it will taste bad. So these uh, polyphenols are added to foods. Um, some foods that don't contain a very high uh, concentration of them uh, from a natural point of view uh, in order to, uh, to improve their, their quality and their shelf life. And then, of course, there are uh, all the different foods that contain a natural uh, content of polyphenols. So, so that's the food perspective of it. From a health perspective, the same antioxidative capacity also works in our body. So there is a lot of literature showing that these polyphenols are good for you uh, for a lot of different reasons. One of them is this antioxidative capacity. Another is anti-inflammatory uh, activities. They have also been shown to, um, to be um, anti-carcinogenic, so they can fight cancer uh, in some instances. And, and there is really, yeah, a lot of studies showing all different kinds of beneficial bioactivities of, of these compounds. All right, great. So get your polyphenols. Now, you studied protein polyphenol interactions, basically yes. those those two things bonding together. Yes. 
Okay, and can you tell us more about that? Why is that significant? So, so it was actually a little bit random that we came across this and, and we became interested in this because my field of, uh, of research is, uh, or previously was not really focused on polyphenols, but on proteins. So a lot of things, uh, or a lot of chemical reactions happen to proteins during food processing and storage. And they are usually associated with something that is uh, negative, uh, but in some cases also positive for flavor. So, so um, for instance, proteins can oxidize or they can undergo what is called Maillard reactions, which is, uh, for those that may not have heard that, it, it's um, a reaction that occurs when you roast your bread or you fry your steak, um, when you make potato chips, stuff like that. And uh, in those cases, it might be good for the flavor, but you also have compounds being formed that might pose a risk to human health. Um, so we have been very interested in you know, understanding the chemistry so that we could control it and help the food industry with actually producing foods that are better for you. And then um, because these uh, polyphenols they work so well in retarding lipid oxidation. We also wanted to investigate it, if it was possible to inhibit protein oxidation. And then we started to see these additional effects of the polyphenol that they would actually also react with the proteins directly. Um, so basically uh, binding to the proteins through these covalent bonds. But we had no idea what the effects on food quality was and on human health. So, so we could prevent some of the protein modifications that we were not interested in, but we would just then introduce new ones by attaching the polyphenols to the proteins. So that's like the background history for why we started to be interested in this in the first place. Awesome. And it, it was an area where there wasn't a lot of knowledge when we started out. Okay. And when did you start this research? So that was, I think the first discoveries we made was back in 2010 or something like that. Oh, so a while um, ago. Yeah, okay. it was a while ago. There, there, there were studies, of course, on this topic before, yeah. Yeah. Uh, naturally, but, uh, but they were mostly on model systems and not so much in actual food products. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you used two acids, caffic acid and chlorogenic acid. They were yes. the phenolic acids in cocoa and coffee beans. So cocoa yes. and coffee, basically. Is that okay to yeah. say, just to simplify it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In milk products to see, this, this was like one of the first studies, I guess, that I read, to see if you could quantify the combination of polyphenols and proteins like basically, if you could see how much is in it. Yes, one of, one of the really important tasks of the work that we do uh, that is to be able to quantify how much of these modifications are occurring. So, if you want to make a risk assessment uh, on okay, is this bad for you? Is this good for you? You need to understand how much is actually present in the food and how much you are taking up in the body in order to be able to make that risk assessment or 
assessment for beneficial effects, of course. Sure. The problem with the polyphenols are that they're so reactive. So some of them actually degrade when we're trying to do our chemical analysis to do this quantification. So that has introduced a lot of analytical challenges when we want to quantify these things. And that's also why, I mean, when we published this paper, there was a lot of studies, a lot, a lot of uh, people asking me, uh, so how much coffee with milk do I need to drink? And I can't answer that question yet. Hopefully we will be able to at some point, but I can't answer that simply because the quantification methods that we have available to us are not good enough yet. So, uh, so that's a challenge. Sure. So, so what we decided to do here, because we have, you know, all these different types of polyphenols in foods, then uh, we had to start somewhere. And the caffeic acid and the chlorogenic acid, those were the ones that we actually were capable of synthesizing and attaching to an amino acid. And we needed that in order to, to make this quantification. So there are no, I mean, normally you can buy standards and then you can quantify based on standards. But that's not possible in this case because none of these are commercially available. So we have to make them ourselves. So, so those two were the ones that we were able to, uh, to produce in the lab. And that's why we focused on, on these two phenolic acids to start out with. So they stick together, so to speak. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, you we we take the not not the two uh, not the two phenolic uh, right. acids, but but cysteine and the caffeic acid, and then cysteine together with the chlorogenic acid. Okay, and that's what you call addict. I see. I've seen the word yeah. addict in. Your, okay, that's an addict. Just the combination of the acid and the protein. Okay, okay, got it. Um, and as you just said, fit you have to start here, figure out the measurement, and that could lead to answering other research questions down the line. Exactly. So what we have done in the in the first round was, first of all, we we uh, did an attempt to quantify these in, in these uh, coffee with milk drinks. Um, and, and we couldn't quantify the content, but we could state that they were definitely present. So we could detect them. So we know that these compounds, or adducts as we call them, are present in, in drinks made with coffee and milk. Um, and then we, we um, tested the same compounds in these immune cells. And then we compared those responses to the just the simple phenolic acids that were not bound to cysteine. Okay, so you had, so we know, as you said at the beginning, the polyphenols have antioxidant, anti-inflammatory properties by themselves. And yes. you guys were wondering, okay, so how do those guys compare with the polyphenol and the protein and the partners? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. And just to the protein that they were combining in when you test was in milk. The protein yes. was, okay. The protein was in the milk. Okay. So that's where the milk comes in. The milk is giving the protein. Okay. Yes. And then you had a group of cells and you applied the polyphenols to the cells and then the polyphenol and the protein to the cells. Yes. And what were you looking for something in particular? Uh, we were looking for the anti-inflammatory effects. So we, we know already that the caffeic acid and the chlorogenic acid, they are anti-inflammatory just by themselves. 
So we were curious to see when we were, were attaching the cysteine, the amino acid cysteine, to the two phenolic acids, what would happen with this anti-inflammatory effect. And we were actually a little bit surprised to see that the anti-inflammatory effect was enhanced. Um, my best guess before we did the study was that it would actually have been reduced, um, that we would lose some of the anti-inflammatory effect of, of the caffeic acid and chlorogenic acid because we were modifying them. But surprisingly enough, we experienced that, that uh, it was enhanced, the, the anti-inflammatory effect. Interesting. Yeah. So the, and, and we hear anti-inflammatory a lot. Um, so it's one of those worlds, like people who love wellness are like, it's anti-inflammatory. Like, yeah. <laughs> so what did, can, what does that look like when you're testing it in cells? Like, how do you know? You have, now we are, this is actually my collaborator's area. He's a little bit better at explaining that. Okay, so just like basic. I will, I, will, I will try. Yeah, so <laughs> have some markers we know to uh, to analyze for. And there are different assays that we can use, and we chose some of the most common ones. And and uh, overall, they, they show the same thing, more or less. Okay, and what cells did you use? Does it matter what cells you use? Yeah, of course, because you need some that, that is actually relevant. So in this case, it was uh, immune cells that are present both in the bloodstream, but also in the gut. Oh. Um, and, and one of the questions that we actually cannot answer yet, that is uh, how much is being trans... So when you eat something, it goes into the stomach and then it goes into the gut. And if, it, if it's going to go into the bloodstream, it needs to cross the, the gut membrane. Oh, right. Uh, and we don't know that yet, if that occurs for these adducts. Okay. Yeah. So, But, but the, um, the immune cells are also present in the gut. So, uh, so you can say that for this result, it's not dependent on whether or not the adduct is being transported across the gut or not. I see. Okay. Now, can you tell us a little, so this is in cells. So are you doing this, are you going to do this, uh, try to repeat this experiment, so to speak, in like, animals or humans? Like well, I guess yeah. we're, we're animals too. But <laughs> so, so right now we have funding to uh, conduct animal trials. Um, and then uh, we have a lot of questions. One of them is this question about whether or not uh, the adducts are being transported across the, the gut membrane. Um, but there are also other questions that we are, are aiming to answer. Um, and, uh, and then hopefully we'll get enough information so that we can uh, apply for, for uh, research funding to actually be able to do human trials. Right now, we have to be, uh, we work in, in model systems. So this is not something that we can actually feed a human being. So, of course, I could ask you to drink coffee with milk, and then I could take blood samples and I could analyze those, but I wouldn't really know what to analyze for. So we need to be able to understand what is it that we should evaluate when we have then uh, done this uh, experiment. 
so, so that's what we are looking for in uh, in the animal trials first. Okay. If you ever need somebody who drinks a lot of coffee with milk, that's me. I yeah, and there's a lot of people who volunteer. <laughs> so that's like nice. my bloodstream is probably all caffeine. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm and now this combination that you focused on here or, you know, that made it li- was in the news. I saw, I saw it a lot in the news was coffee and milk. Yeah. Potentially there's other combos out there that, right. You yeah. would see. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sure. I mean, we have, we have started here and uh, we just chose some, you know, random products that we could buy in the supermarket. And then we, we could detect the, the polyphenol protein adducts in these coffee with milk drinks. But we have uh, investigated a lot of other food products. So, um, for instance, spices are used for uh, for meat in order to, you know, inhibit lipid oxidation. Uh, and we have also detected these kind of polyphenol protein adducts in meat products where you have added polyphenols. So potentially they're also present in meat products. Of course, the anti-inflammatory effects we have shown, they are only shown so far for the caffeic acid and chlorogenic acid. So, uh, so and, and they are present in, as you also mentioned yourself, coffee, cocoa. They are actually also present to a small extent in beer. Um, beer? But yes. But I'm not. I'm not sure. I should say that. There goes the podcast. Right? <laughs> I'm not sure. I should say that there's an anti-inflammatory effect of of uh, drinking beer. We haven't uh, analyzed beer yet, so we don't know if if these adducts are actually present. In, uh, there's an anti-worry effect with beer. Yeah. <laughs> we know that, right? Yeah. And you also need to consider what other. Uh, components sure. this food product contains. I mean, <laughs> coffee has caffeine, which you should not have too much of, and beer has alcohol. You know, so but yeah. maybe non-alcohol beer that uh, that could also be. Uh, yeah, I've never been a beer person, coffee person. Yeah, and then I don't drink much alcohol at all these no. days. Yeah, I just but but the, there's a lot of nice uh, non-alcoholic beers coming out on the market, which actually tastes really good. They have improved the uh, the way that they produce these types of beers, so that starts to become uh, interesting. Interesting uh, because they don't have alcohol in them. I think if you don't want that. Yeah. Um. Um. So, are you telling people to put milk in their coffee or in their hot chocolate? Uh, is that what people are doing now? A lot of people are very happy about this result. I have to say that personally, I actually don't drink uh, milk in my coffee. Oh, you just, okay. You just take it. Just yeah. That's yeah. I drink. Uh, I mostly drink espresso. So. Um, oh, okay. okay. But I, I think that that this type of effect that uh, we see here could easily be found in a lot of other different types of food products. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you make smoothies and you have yeah. some kind of milk or, or yogurt there yeah i would think that the same type of adducts would also be formed but then i mean in denmark there is this whole green transition and we should eat more plant-based foods because of our um, uh, planet 
You know, you should uh, you should avoid animal products and eat more plant-based foods. That's a, a very very heavy trend in Denmark. So there's a lot of of uh, of plant-based foods coming out, and uh, considering the fact that that the, the plant already has a lot of polyphenols in them, and that you're making all these new types of products where you're mixing everything together in order to make it look like animal food then uh, yeah there's a huge potential that's a, that that there are actually a lot of protein polyphenol adducts in these types of uh, foods ah, okay. so we have a lot of we have a lot of work to do in order to analyze all these different types of food products but yeah. also investigate you know other types of polyphenols that bind to proteins and how uh, they are affected by yeah. by this uh, chemical reaction yeah, and you're in a, in an interesting field during an interesting time because, like, I know that there's all these. Well, there's always been trends out there, but I've seen the plant based trend. I think there's some there's also some pushback on that from people who are really into like keto and eating. Yes. Like, yeah. So there's that, and then I've seen like insects, protein. Yeah. That's coming out. I haven't. That that's not very big in uh, in Denmark, but but it's definitely a trend that that's coming up. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I don't know if I'd sit down and eat the insects. <laughs> I don't know. I'm. <laughs> um. Yeah. Leaves. Uh. Grass. I can eat that. Just like I just. Yeah. The idea of eating an insect. It's probably all in my head too. But. Um. I'm not. I'm not there yet. Um, but there, there are people who don't really get the fact that they should eat less meat for our planet's sake. So yeah. uh, just, just going from from meat to plants is a huge transition for some people. Uh, going into insects would be an even larger transition, I would think, for most people. So I think if if people just start eating a little bit more plant based, then I think it's very positive. And I, I'm not sure people really connect the two yet, you know, like if you're on maybe social media and you read or, but if like people may not uh, connect like eating less meat with, you know, plant the planet, saving the planet type stuff. No, but there is actually a quite, there are some calculations showing that there is a direct connection between how much uh, meat we eat and, and how yeah. bad it is for the environment. Yeah. So yeah. and the yeah, but that's a whole new, that's a whole that's, different. That's discussion. a whole other topic. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, since you do, you you know, these anti antioxidants, what I've read somewhere where like, oh, you can get too much antioxidants and yes. is that your, can you, do, can if you like, if you feel like it, but like, can you comment on that? Like, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yes, absolutely. So um, there is this uh, idea that more is better. But that's rarely the case. Uh, it's actually a lot better to eat balanced, to eat a little bit of everything. Also, because there's so much that we don't know yet. So there might be things that we're eating that is actually not very good for you, but we don't know yet. So if you just eat a little bit of everything, then uh, then you balance out you know, a lot of things. And of course, you should not eat too much fat and you should not eat 
too much fast food, but eating fast food now and then, eating, you know, chocolate now and then, no problem at all. I, I think the human body can actually cope with quite a lot of things, but but as long as you eat balanced, then uh, then I think everything is good. That's kind of my approach, balance and, and moderation. Um, yeah, and just yeah. enjoying yourself from time to time. Yeah. I don't know. This was actually an advice that my mother gave me when I was little, and she knew nothing about nutrition or anything. So yeah. it, it basically, it's just common sense. Yeah, everything in moderation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we're all here still fighting over what's good and what's bad for you. <laughs> yeah, and it's also, it's actually quite difficult to find out if uh, some specific type of uh, modification that we're introducing in our food if, if that is really good or bad for you, because uh, there's the whole analytical challenge in it. But then there's also how you how you make the intervention studies with humans. So because when if you modify a food, then you don't only modify one thing. That's not possible. So uh, so so you will modify a lot of different things. And then you have to characterize all those things that you modify but you only characterize the things that you're capable of analyzing. So what about all the other things that you can't analyze? So that's why it's so hard to actually get really solid proof uh, for whether or not a food compound is, is good or bad for you when we're talking about uh, studies in humans. That made me think of, I'm sure you've heard the word, you know, toxin or toxin-free. People say that a lot. And I always, I, I once turned that into a cartoon just because I like to draw and <laughs> I'm not, I'm not like an artist or anything, but I just, I had this, uh, these two unknown toxins behind this woman and, and like, it's just, yeah, there's, there's things we don't know. So if we like, you think we're, we might be thinking we're doing something great, but then there's these unknown things that could be bad. We just don't know them yet. Um, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just a lot we don't know. Um, yeah. so what are some, like the practical, like practical implications of your work down the line, like some take home points? Um, yeah, so I think the the really good thing is that the, that these um, chemical reactions that occur between polyphenols and proteins in food, they're actually not bad. Um, so so um, at least not in terms of this anti-inflammatory activity. There's a lot of other things that that might be affected during uh, during these types of, of reactions. So one of the things that, that people have studied quite a lot is whether or not the protein is as easily digestible when it's modified with a polyphenol or not. Um, I think that, that the, our conclusion so far is that it has to be modified quite a lot. But of course, it might change uh, where the uh, protein is digested in the body. So it might actually reach further down into the digestive tract um, before it's then being uh, taken up in the body uh, as compared to if it's not modified by the polyphenol. But what that then affects, we don't know yet. So that's also part of the questions that we would like to answer. So, so, uh, so overall, um, from what we've seen so far, it, it seems that it's actually um, not that, I mean, it, it seems to be good 
the the reaction that occurs with proteins, and it might actually have some beneficial effects, which is super interesting because normally when we're modifying proteins, that's usually something we would like to avoid when we're talking about food chemistry. I mean, that it, it's usually something that people um, associate with a neg negative thing for human health. But here we actually have a type of protein modification that seems to be very positive. So I and think that's... Yeah, sorry. Just, you know, and I just thought of this because you know how there's all these different milk options today, like, you know, almond milk, oat milk, but you, you guys used dairy milk, regular milk. Yeah. So it, yeah, yes, we did. Um, and uh, it would be super interesting to test almond milk or oat milk or some of these other milk alternative that's now uh, coming yeah. forward on the market. And that's also on our to-do list, of course. Yeah. Uh, I don't, my mother told me she reads all this nutrition stuff, and she called me the other day. She's like, Erin. Put regular. She's like, put regular milk in your coffee. It's better for you. I'm like, <laughs> so I think, thanks, mom. I don't know where she got that from. She read it somewhere, saw it in a magazine, but that was the advice of the day. So yeah, 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 yeah. No, we don't know yet if. Uh, I mean, overall, these uh, milk alternatives they contain less protein than normal cow milk, so you don't get the same amount of protein. Uh, unfortunately, I think soy milk is the only one that has this, uh, comparable levels to a normal cow's milk uh, in terms of protein content. But some of the others are much lower in protein content. So, of course, you have less protein to actually have this reaction. Um, ah. but, but whether or not it reacts or not, uh, we don't know yet. Yeah. So she might have had a point. Yeah, she might have had a point. <laughs> uh, I don't know yet. I can't answer that because we didn't analyze these milk alternatives yet. Um, well, this is really interesting. One final question, I guess. So next steps for you is to do try to do the study in animals. And yes, with these specific compounds, uh, we are. We are. There, is, there is one other thing that I haven't really touched that much upon. So the, uh, the um, adducts that we tested in the, in the immune cells, that was based on a polyphenol attached to an amino acid. But in foods, it's actually a full protein. So a protein is built up of amino acids. So you can say that it's a model system that we've used. But what we know is that the protein is degraded into individual amino acids when we adjust them. Uh, so so um, what we've seen in some studies is that if we have a protein and we attach a polyphenol to it, then we can make a lab digestion and then we can actually see that that lab that digestion will release one amino acid with a polyphenol on it. And this was kind of our justification for actually testing the amino acid uh, polyphenol adduct in the cells. But of course, now that we're going to make these animal trials, we have to do it on the protein because it's the protein that you eat. I see. With the polyphenol on. And then we have another challenge, and that is that it's not only the amino acid cysteine that reacts with the polyphenols. It's also some of the other amino acids on the protein. So then we need to be able to characterize how we're modifying the protein 
and not only the simple amino acid. So, so that's uh, another type of analytical problem that, that we are currently um, investigating right now. But, but uh, that looks good and, and we can modify a protein and we can characterize it. So now we just need to make it in high enough quantities so that we can actually feed uh, a mouse with it as well. Right, right. And then, so the mouse won't be won't be drinking coffee, so to speak, with milk. No, no, <laughs> no. We have some uh, we have some uh, some protein in, uh, yeah some ingredients that are food grade uh, with simple proteins, and then we can add the polyphenols that, and then that's what we can feed to the mice. Interesting. It's very interesting. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and just. Uh, it's like the doubles in the details too. It's like all these little steps that you have to watch out for. Yes, um, it has. It hasn't been. It hasn't been so easy. It's taken a lot of time to, mostly to get the methods up and running for really characterizing what it is that we do. Because you can easily add a polyphenol to a food, and then you can feed that to a mouse. But you need to be able to make sure that you actually have the covalent bonding formed. And how much of it is there as well, if you really want to study the, the type of chemistry that we want to study. It's cha- that sounds challenging just listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have, uh, I have a lot of really good people in my lab. So uh, yeah. they are excellent uh, people awesome. doing all very hard, hard work. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's great. And a good team makes all the difference. So it does. It yes, really does. yes. yes. Well, thank you so much. This was very interesting. Um, I wish you a lot of luck with your research. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, who knows? But uh, I I drink, I do put a little, I put oat milk in my coffee. Yeah, it's probably fine. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely drink too much coffee, but um, I've accepted that as part of of who who I am. (laughs) Me too, yes. Um, Thanks so much. And do you have a, like, is there a website that you guys have, like your lab that people, if they want to check it out or? Yeah, we have a lab, uh, we have a website, but we don't put new, <laughs> that many news on it uh, because it's uh, defined by the university, how, what we are allowed to put in. So it's more these news stories that, that come out. I see. Uh, like the one with, with coffee and milk. Yeah. But we pat- do have a, a home, our department has a homepage. So. Uh, okay. I'll find it and I'll link it in the description. So if anybody wants to. uh, I can just write it to you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how like the headlines go. uh, Everyone's like, oh, these headlines, they're so reductive. Like sometimes they create the buzz and attention, you know, and they get people interested. And, you know. But it's the first time we've experienced that with any of our publications. So it's been a lot of fun. And we really got lot of attention this time but I think yeah. the headline was also making the, the biggest difference I mean <laughs> there's so many people who can relate to coffee with milk yeah it can and you know there's uh that's a whole other podcast you know everyone's like oh the headline was too reductive I'm like yeah but sometimes you need that to create the buzz and the catch and the the hook and you know yeah. just because you're competing with so much information out there so yeah um, and yeah. it, it is actually, in this case, it is actually true. I mean, the, it was a, a journalist employed at the university who, who wrote the, the news uh, article. And afterwards, when we were getting all this attention, we were just, you know, discussing 
But we were actually, we, we were good. We were sticking to the point and we were sticking to the facts. So we were not overselling anything here. So uh, we were very happy about that, both of us. Yeah, the journalists did a good the job there. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day there. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Marianne. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thank you for joining in, everybody. Hope you stick around, subscribe, share with your friends, and let me know. Are you going to start putting milk in your coffee after listening to this? Or what about ice cream? I always felt like ice cream and coffee was a great combination. Um, I should do that. Start a, a little shop in New York City um, if, you, if you can afford the rent. Okay, so let's close out the episode with a quote. Uh, this quote is from David Lynch. Okay. <clears throat> Even bad coffee is better than no coffee at all. That is so true. So true. I mean, I will drink stale coffee, you know, two-day-old coffee. Um, I'm so classy that I call yesterday's coffee today's iced coffee because iced coffee is trendy, right? Like, I'm getting an iced coffee. I'm like, well, yeah, I just poured uh, yesterday's coffee in a mug and added an ice cube. Now it's like iced, iced coffee. Um, one time I went to some, I guess it was like some detox like camp. I don't really believe like in that word, but there was something in upstate New York and a friend and I were bored. We had nothing to do. I think it was New Year's Eve one year. We obviously didn't have New Year's Eve dates. So we were like, let's go to this um old house in upstate New York where no one is during this time of year <laughs> and, and detox, whatever that is. I, I like to try new things. So anyways, I, they banned coffee and I felt I wasn't ready for that. And I felt like a tranquilized pile of mush. I had a headache. I couldn't stay awake for anything. I felt depressed, really depressed. Although I must say I got the best sleep of my life. I never slept like that. Um, but then I started cheating. Yeah, uh, we had these mandatory morning exercises. And without coffee, I was like, like, think of when you tranquilize a bear. And then like, think of that bear trying to do pushups or like bear crawls or crawls as bears would call them. Um, I couldn't do it. I was just awful. But what I started doing, <laughs> my only motivation was I knew there was a nearby coffee shop in town. So I would just run away from the group and go jogging and I jog straight to that coffee shop and get a cup of coffee. And then I felt much better. I felt like, you know, joining life and living and, uh, you know, wanting to go on. Um, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't ditch coffee. And some people might call that a vice and that's okay. It is a vice that I embrace, you know, uh, we all have vices. All right, guys. Uh, so um, I hope to see you here next time and, um, yeah, wishing you all a, a good day or good evening, wherever you may be. All right. Bye-bye.